Welcome to Broads You Should Know, the podcast about amazing and noteworthy women in history. I'm Sam Eggers. I'm Sarah Gorski. And I'm Chloe Skye. Oh my gosh, you guys, I'm talking, I'm so excited. I'm going to talk to you about Mary Tape. Mary Tape? Like Scotch Tape, but did she, Yeah, did, did she invent tape? You know, she has absolutely no connection to Scotch Tape that I can find, or any tape for that matter. Um, mm. But she's a pretty awesome broad, and... I think I'm just going to get jump right into her and then we will pretty quickly realize what it was that she did in her contribution. So Mary Tape actually was born in China and I could not find her or her birth name. So I couldn't find any of the records. So we're going to go with uh, Mary Tape, which was the name that she took when she immigrated to America. And so around 1868, um, Mary Tape came to the U.S., and came to California, and she's about about 11 years old. Okay. And her her early years are really vague. They think she might have been forced to work in a brothel when she first got here. She was, for some reason, she was, she was unaccompanied. She wasn't with her parents, so I'm not sure if her parents died on the journey, or if she was an orphan and she, or she was somehow brought against her will. We can't really, that information does not seem to be available. Either way, uh, she was in San Francisco, and she was taken in by the Ladies Protection and Relief Society, and she was raised in a school for destitute girls. So this was just a school that they started for girls who were living on the street or, you know, who were forced to work in brothels. But what they did was that they forced them to learn English, take English names, and they sort of, their goal was to fully westernize these girls. Hmm. So... Um, at the time, Mary takes the name Mary McGladderly. I and mean, McGladderly was the name of the woman who ran this society. And so it was sort of like, I think a lot of the girls took her last name. And um, she's westernized at the school. She learns English. She becomes a Christian. So she, and, and so this is her life now in San Francisco. Naturally, Christian, naturally. Exactly. <laughs> and so, America. <laughs> so around the same time, um, a young man named Jude Dip immigrates to San Francisco, and he comes a few years before Mary does, and when he's 12 years old. This is like 20 years after the beginning of the gold rush, and so there aren't like mining jobs. So we think around this time, everyone's like, oh, you become a miner in San Francisco, but um, they're getting really hard to find at this point. So when he comes over, a little 12-year-old boy, he gets a job as a servant for a dairy rancher, mm. and he sort of works his way up, and then he begins driving the milk wagon. So, in 1875, Jew Dip and Mary McGladderly meet, and they get married, and uh, it's a Christian ceremony. He changes his name to Joseph, and uh, they both, for some reason, they take the last name Tape, and I, again, could not find out why they take this last name, but this is how we get Mary Tape, so. So they still could be related to Scotch Tape somehow, but there's just no records about we, it. We just have to hope. <laughs> We just, <laughs> listeners, if you know something we don't know. They made, know. they made good friends with Bartholomew Scotch in San Francisco. There we go. And the heirs to the tape fortune. I, I apologize to everybody for my poor humor. I apologize. Um, so they're married and actually life is really good for the tapes because Joseph's delivery uh, business that she, he started, you know, because he began driving the milk wagon. He begins, starts his own milk delivery service. It like blows up and he starts other other small businesses and he's doing really really well and um they are firmly middle class and doing better than most people and they decide they're going to settle in an area of san francisco which is called cal point and in this area there are not many uh chinese families there it's pretty much you know they've moved House. into an area that's predominantly white 
And oh, um, so you were going to say it was filled with cows. Cows. I hope there were cows there. You'd think. But this is at a time when there was a lot of anti-Chinese sentiment happening. So I don't know if you guys remember from your history class. I did not, but the internet reminded I do. me. Uh, that in I know 18, exactly what you're going to say. In 1882, uh, the United States passed the Chinese Exclusion Act, which made it illegal for any Chinese immigration for 10 years. They also banned all Chinese in the U.S. from becoming naturalized citizens. So it Can you is, believe that shit? Can you fucking oof, believe that? It is a bad fucking time to be Chinese in the States. What? But America's never been racist. I know, right? A lie. And so it is, so even in a place like San Francisco where there is a large uh, Chinese population and there is a Chinatown, there still is so much anti-Chinese sentiment. And so the tapes are really, have are sort of have an uphill battle, but they both feel very, very American. They came over at a very young age and like Mary in particular, she was raised in this, you know, Christian westernized upbringing. And so for them, they feel they are 100% American. So, you know, they're doing well with money and they live in this nice area and they have children and they decide they want to send their daughter, Mamie, cute name, to the neighborhood public school, which is like, you know, and they live in a nice area. So the other option would be they could send their daughter to like these Chinese schools that are in Chinatown, but those are run by missionaries and they're not as good and it's far away. And so they're like, why would we do that? or send her to the neighborhood public school. But unfortunately, in San Francisco, um, Chinese children are frequently denied access to public schools. And and apparently in California, there was a law passed in 1880 that said that all children in the state are entitled to a public education. So all children should get a public education, and they're entitled to it in California. But apparently there are these local school board policies that say, well, we don't want any Chinese children in our schools. And for some reason, those are fucking upheld. It's ridiculous. So Mary is like, this is bullshit. I'm sending my kid to the neighborhood school, which is called Spring Valley. She's like, I'm sending my kid to Spring Valley Public School. But here's our villain, Principal Jenny Hurley. She has other plans. She says, nope, I don't want Mamie tape here. She's Chinese. I don't want her. And there were some quotes from things that the school board said. And I decided to not even read it because it's the language is so gross that was used at the time. It's like racist as hell, right? Oh, and they say God. horrible things, horrible things. And, and it is. And what's incredible is that this was the language they were using in a professional setting or like in a newspaper article. and it's, Like at the school board meeting. Yeah, and it's like, just so grotesque. Uh, I was like, I'm just making the choice to not use it. Just trust that it's, can, it was Can awful. you say whether we're like they're using racial slurs? Words that we consider now racial slurs, yes. And I think at the time they did not. Right, it was just like the way you referred to Chinese people. Exactly. It's uh, awful. So, um, uh, and so... Mary Tape is like, okay, the principal has said no, but I think this is ridiculous, and I'm going to go to the Chinese consulate. I'm going to complain there. So she complains to the Chinese consulate, and they go to the school board, and they complain. And the principal and the school board, they still say no. So Mary's like, this is ridiculous. We're going to sue. So they hire a lawyer named William Gibson, and they're going to sue the San Francisco Board of Education. And, um, And Gibson argues 
he says, not only does it violate the 1880 law I told you guys about, which is that every child is, should, is entitled to public school education, but that it also um, violates her right to equal protection under the 14th Amendment. Mm. So Tape v. Hurley first went to the Superior Court, which agreed with Gibson, with their lawyer. So this is like, oh, this is a win, and mm-hmm. went further to say that, quote, it would be unjust to levy a forced tax upon Chinese residents to help maintain our schools and yet prohibit their children born here from education in those schools. Yeah. So we were like, great, it's a win, right? It's a pretty great argument. But here's the problem. The court had said nothing that would threaten the separate but equal doctrine that already existed at the time. So we sort of think of separate but equal as like something from, you know, from Brown versus Fortification. Yeah, we think it was there, but it had long been established. And so Mm. unfortunately, since they said nothing about that specifically in the ruling, that's the San Francisco school board, they decide they're going to make a new law to quickly say that they can separate schools for children of Chinese and Mongolian descent. So they quickly write up a new law that, so that they can say, well, this way we can keep the Chinese students from coming into our white schools. But they didn't build a, a public Chinese school. They just made a law that they had to be separated. Well, they do build a Chinese school. So. Oh, I hate these assholes. I know. <laughs> Not long ago. So the, the year after this happens, Mary is still like fuming. She's like, I can't believe this. This is bullshit. So she takes her, she takes her daughter, made me back to Spring Valley. She's like, you're going to enroll my daughter. She's not done with them. But now the school is like, oh, well, the school's too crowded. You don't have the proper documentation for her vaccinations. And so, and there's this new Chinese school that's going to be open and you can't come here. And so Mary writes this furious, furious letter and she publishes it in the newspaper And uh, this is one of the quotes. She said, Dear sirs, will you please tell me, is it a disgrace to be born a Chinese? Didn't God make us all? And she said, just because she is of Chinese descent, I guess she is more of an American than a good many of you. And so she just like rails against all of these people. And she's, and it sort of becomes like a lot of people see this as this is a very big, important letter. She's one of the first women to really stand up against the segregation in schools because she's outraged that her daughter is being treated like this. And so, unfortunately, she doesn't get Mamie into Spring Valley, but when the Chinese school opens up, they send their children there. And 10 years later, they move to Berkeley. And when they move to Berkeley, uh, their children can attend integrated schools there. Because Berkeley's um, not quite as racist. Not quite as racist. <laughs> exactly. So it's So it's sort of... Um, we when I when I I was so interested to hear that all of this like this here separate but equal so early on in history it's it's one of those things where you just see how long the battle really is it's not Mm -hmm. like people started fighting this in you know in 1930s 1940s people had been bringing these cases to the courts you know as early as 1880 and maybe even earlier our listeners if you know of something earlier I'm I, I do not but even though her kids never attend the Spring Valley Primary School, more and more Chinese children do begin attending white schools in, in San Francisco after the Tate v. Hurley case. Um, even though the California law sanctioning separate public schools was on the books and it wasn't repealed until 1947. Yikes. Wow. Post-World War II. Yeah. Whoa. And so, and that's seven years before 
Brown versus Board of Education. So it wow. was a, a long, long, long battle. And there were other cases that were trying to fight the separate but equal doctrine. Um, two of them, uh, Wong Him v. Callahan was one. This was in 1902. And then um, there was another one, Gong Loom v. Rice in 1927. And both of those upheld the state's rights to segregate Chinese Americans in public schools. Oh, so damn. Unreal. Mary Tape was a badass woman who I just think it's just really, I was really inspired by her just not, not accepting it at this time when there was so much anti-Chinese sentiment. She just said, no, like, no, my yeah. daughter, this is ridiculous. My daughter is going to this school. And I love that she, she wasn't pushed around by it. I can't imagine the, the guts that took and um, how difficult that was. Sam, yeah. how did you find her? She, uh, you know, I'm trying to remember how I found her. I think she was also one of my searches. I mean, I think sometimes I'll search like, you know, badass Asian women or something like that. Like I try to search, I'm just looking, like I said before, trying to find women who aren't necessarily like white Western women. And then I'll, that will take me to sites that are more geared towards, you know, Asian history or something like that. I think that's yeah. how I found her. She's and, awesome. She is she so cool? awesome. So brave. Wow. So good old Mar- Mary Tate. It's a it's interesting timing. I don't I just listened to a, a podcast that's basically it's five episodes long. It's just five episodes. Each one's like forty five minutes, so it's a pretty quick listen. It, it was released on the serial feed, which is how I, I found out it existed. They just were like, here's here's the whole thing. And it's about how it's called Nice White Parents. And it's about how uh, white people intentionally and unintentionally have maintained segregation up until even the present day. and oh. the way And just the ways that schools are still deeply incredibly segregated and it is entirely the fault of parents who are just trying to like get their kids into the best middle school quote unquote and because they have access to more money they show up and they completely warp the way that the the economy of the school works to Mm -hmm. prioritize their children over everyone else and eventually everyone else gets booted out of the school well, that and the fact that um, that so many schools funding is based on your your property taxes. And yep. so as like the wealthy white people moved out to the suburbs, especially like I'm from the Chicago area. I grew up in the western suburbs of Chicago. And you have all of these wealthy white suburbs around the city where there's a lot more, um, you know, pe- people in the, the like lower classes, not that like wealthy middle class. And so... You have all these schools that have all this money out in the suburbs and none of that money goes to the inner city kids at all. And so Mm -hmm. it's really fucked up. Like it's not, it is very unequal and very uneven. And it is the fault of the parents who keep like seeking to to go further and further out and to like protect, quote, protect their kids. Mm -hmm. So not until do people, you know, not until people stop doing that or or really see that like real change. And nobody sees it as being racist because helping my kid seems like a pretty good goal. Right. It's just that the the long-term ramifications lead to a lot of other people's kids are now suffering. 
Yeah. Well, now it's devolved. So, like, you know, now we have charter schools and we have these other, mm-hmm. like, pockets. Of, and even, like, during COVID now, people are forming these pod schools where the people who have more money and can afford to hire, like, a private teacher are doing, like, small group classes for the kids in person. But then there's all these kids who can't afford that kind of a thing who are just kind of left out in the wind. And uh, mm-hmm. it's really, sh- it's like a shameful practice like I understand the the one and obviously my parents participated like they moved to the suburbs and I went to those good schools but like everybody's guilty of it and we have to like really help educate our fellow white people about how awful that practice is. NPR did a really good um, series on California's eventual goal to have um, free pre-k so, I mean, this is before mm. COVID, so money was, California maybe right. had, had more money right. then. But, you know, you guys probably might have heard that California, their goal was to make pre-K free for, like, all public free pre-K, which would be amazing and help so many people. And one of the things they were running into was that pe- they realized what happened was that a lot of rich people just wanted to take their kids and put them into private exclusionary pre-K because they what they found in interviewing all these people is these parents believe that if they're you know, their like precious little child was thought it was in school with, you know, kids that came from poor backgrounds. They thought that, that those kids would like drag their kid down. And they thought, and there's no research that supports that at all. Ridiculous. Like, and so mm-hmm. the NPR really did a great job of explaining how there is not, that, that's not a thing. Like you're not, it's not like this kid's advancement is going to slow because he's with these kids who might not have had the same exposure like that all the that all of the kids will raise each other and so and that so was shame. just really disappointing and sad to hear that something like that is holding up the process well it's also the way that the schools sort of incentivize parents to focus all their intentions and and their efforts on their kid so that they can compete because you have to I didn't even know this was a thing but like you have to submit an application with letters of recommendation and like a resume to get into middle schools to get into like the quote unquote good middle schools. Mm-hmm. Like you, you have to write an essay. You have to basically do the process of applying for a college. And so there's like all these nine and 10 year olds who are like, Oh, hope I, I hope I get into the good middle school or else I got to go to the poor middle school. And that is code for black middle school. It just it was it was incredibly eye opening, and as somebody who has no children and may never have children, uh, I was like, "Damn, there's this whole fight going on, and the, the reason it's just it's in the schooling, and so people come out of it just believing in the system yeah. staying how it is." Mm-hmm. It's a goddamn shame. That's we the truth. Keep fighting against it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's why I voted for Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> yeah. Same. Yes. Oh, man. I love Mary Tape. I'm so glad you brought her to us, Sam. Yeah. I'm glad you guys enjoyed Mary Tape. We think she's abroad. Uh, Hell yeah. Yes. Hells yeah. I agree. I'm going to break your racist laws and uh, get my piece of the American pie. Mm Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right, Mary Tape. No relation to Scotch Tape. No relation (laughs) after all. (laughs) Well, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you guys next time, and you'll listen to us. Oh, God, why am I so bad at this? (laughs) Rods, you should know. (laughs) <laughs> you don't need to you i don't need to wrap it up someone else do that so tell everybody where they can find us i want to tell you guys 
that we love it when you listen. And if you want to support the show, the best thing you do is go into iTunes and leave us a glowing review or tell a friend about the show. And you can always reach out to us on Instagram at broadsyoushouldknow. Or you can email us at broadsyoushouldknow at gmail.com. And we'll be back next week to tell you all about another broad you should know.